0: we bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon just a minute ladies and gentlemen i think something is happening
1: good evening i hope you'll excuse me if i appear a trifle excited
0: what we've got here is failure to communicate
2: i want all of you to get up out of your chairs. whatever
1: appears Merges is raw experience for those who watch it. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A
2: dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Sorted Cinema Podcast. I am your temporary host, Patrick. Uh, Simon Howell will probably be joining us at some point during this podcast, due to some technical difficulties. But in the meantime, uh, today we're going to be looking at a couple of new films, uh, one that some of our writers, uh, some of our staff saw at the Toronto Film Festival, and another one that popped on Netflix uh, last week, I believe it was. We're looking at Super Dark Times and Gerald's Game. Uh, and joining me, as always, is Ricky D.
0: What's up, Patrick? I got to correct you. Um, Super Dark Times actually screened at the Fantasia Film Festival.
2: Oh, that's right. I knew it was from somebody. You reviewed it. That's right. I should have known because you didn't go to Toronto. Um, all right. And also joining us is, uh, for the first time, I believe is a uh, cinema writer, Brian Marks. And Brian also writes for village voice and LA weekly. Occasionally
0: great to be here, Brian. How is this the first time you're on our podcast? Like how, like, I feel like we should have invited you on the podcast, like at least a year ago, if not longer. It's crazy. Well,
1: I don't know. I mean, I took a, a big hiatus for grad school, so I didn't really write anything for you. And then, uh, kind of just recently got back into the flow of things so but uh it's an honor have you ever podcasted before oh uh once or twice very briefly
2: well we're going to do our best here to uh, make this a decent experience not too much yelling though we're probably going to yell at you a little bit um or at least (laughs) i know i will be uh So uh, just, just we, a
0: warning, uh, Brian, Patrick does not like movies. OK, <laughs> so
2: I, I hate I hate everything that comes out now. I'm I'm the Sword cinema Grinch, apparently. <laughs> I only like <laughs> good movies. It's just too bad there aren't any. Is there anything that we need to uh, get, you know, uh, talk about with the site with Goombastomp.com or Sword
0: uh, well, we're sort of covering the Toronto After Dark Film Festival. I say sort of because we've already reviewed a lot of movies that have screened at Toronto After Dark at previous film festivals. Um, we're also, of course, doing our 31 Days of Horror. It's a yearly tradition in which we write about all things horror, be it uh, video games, movies, books, and I guess that's about it, really. If you uh, if you do like our podcast, uh, be so kind as to leave a review for us on iTunes or Stitcher, and uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. All right,
2: sounds good. And with that, I think we should jump right into things. Let's hear a clip from Super Dark Times.
0: Guys, my parents rented that movie, True Lies. Don't do it, don't do it. I watched that scene where she strips over and over and over. <laughs> Silver Surfer is the loneliest dude in the galaxy. I mean, the Punisher is pretty haunted. Yo, you have no idea what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> Allison Bannister. Hi. Would you? I don't know. I like her. Yeah, I like her too.
2: He's got a thing for me. I like you, Zach
0: she's hot like Charlie's sister Shut up. <laughs> oh my god yeah let me see that give it back if you want it? come and get
1: it stop stop what did you do? what did you do?
0: do you remember Daryl Harper? got a call from his mom I guess he never came home last night did you see him at school today? Are you okay? There's just a lot going on right now. Josh? We should go back.
1: What? I don't know, but I just keep thinking of his mom. Don't go back there. You need to listen to me. No,
0: you need to listen to yourself. You're scared all the time. If anyone asks, we're not friends.
2: An and that was a clip from super dark times directed by kevin phillips and stars owen campbell charlie tayhan and elizabeth cappuccino um so, Rick, I'm going to hand this over to you because you really, the, my first exposure to Super Dark Times was your review uh, for Fantasia, not for Toronto, uh, w- which was a super positive review. I, if I remember right, you were calling it one of the best movies of the year already, and you were pretty certain it was going to end up on your list as one of the best.
0: Yeah, I actually rewatched the film this week. I don't like it as much as I did the first time I watched it. Now, to be fair, we always talk about this on the podcast. When you go to a film festival and you're surrounded by this crowd which is so hyped and so excited to be at the festival and the crowd's cheering at the movie and and you have like the cast and the director present, and it's just like that atmosphere really helps liven up the the room and helps you to enjoy the experience of watching this movie. So watching it again, I wasn't as big of a fan of the movie as the first time, but there's still a lot that I like about it, and I do stand by what I wrote in my review, and that is that I think in 10 years' time, there's going to be a lot of kids, like say 18, 19-year-olds who watch this movie for the first time. And when they think back, they're going to be like, that was one of their favorite movies of the year. Sort of like Donnie Darko, when that movie came out, it was just like hidden gem. It it made no money at the box office. It it found its cult following because of DVD release, right? So I really do think that this is going to find a huge cult following. And there's a lot that I love about the movie. And I'm going to talk about the production values later, meaning like the cinematography, the editing, etc. But I think what I really, really like about the movie is you have this movie in which these kids commit a crime. Something goes wrong because of a samurai sword and because of marijuana. And the entire film focuses on two boys specifically. And what I really found interesting about it is that although they commit this crime in which this kid is accidentally killed, and albeit it was an accident, what I find interesting about it is that they focus on these boys and they're more worried about actually getting caught like, you know, someone finding out what they did then actually worrying about the fact that this poor boy was murdered or killed and what that does to his family and the community. And there's just something about the way the director sort of gets into the head of these like teenage boys that I find incredibly interesting. And that has a lot to do again with the cinematography, the editing, especially the way he creates his mise en scene You know, like I'm not the director, so I don't know. But I feel like when he set out to make this movie, he had envisioned the movie in his head, how it would be edited. Because there's these great cuts and scenes where there's a lot of sexual imagery that's cut throughout the uh, throughout specific scenes. Right. Like the boys, there is. Yeah. Like the (laughs) boys will be talking and and or talking to a girl and or something and they'll imagine a girl in some sort of like sexual situation, even if she's just like fiddling with like a pen or a pencil and I really do like the way it's edited. Now, this director, Kevin Phillips, this is his first-time feature. It feels like a first-time feature because you can see that there's a lot of things that he can polish up. There's, there's mistakes that he made. There's things that he can do better. But I think it shows a lot of promise for him. He's known for um, directing this short film called Too Cool for School which had critics like going apeshit crazy at the con film festival back in 2015, it was one of those short films that everybody was talking about. And usually when you, you come out of the con film festival, or you think of the con film festival, like there's so many like highbrow, like, Uh, movies that get screened for the very first time by like these amazing like filmmakers that are beloved around the world that no one really puts as much focus on the short films but for some reason this film this short film stood out that year as one of the movies that everyone was talking about so yeah i mean i really do like this movie i kind of got a feeling that you don't like it but before we get to you i think we should let brian chime in and let us know what he thinks
1: uh, well, I was really seduced by this movie from uh, its opening seconds. Um, i I don't want to step on your toes. Maybe we can talk more about the cinematography later, but uh, that was the first thing that I noticed. Um, some really gorgeous shots of kind of dawn or dusk, uh, these wonderful pinks and blue hues in the sky, some nice shots of trees. Like I had no idea what this movie was about. Didn't read a single thing, but I was entranced by this just by those opening images. Um, and so then I, it really had me from that moment on. Um, and I I loved the feel that it got for high school. I think movies are terrible at how they depict high school. Um, usually it's, I don't know, 30 or 40-something screenwriters writing about something they barely remember. And I thought this film really did a great job of kind of getting these kind of interactions between pubescent boys and girls and the kind of, uh, the unseen conflicts or the unspoken conflicts between them. Um, there's a lot of kind of tension between, um, Zach and Josh, the two lead male characters about, um, what's their name? Alison, a girl that they're, they're both interested in, but they never really are willing to express that. Whereas uh, a more Hollywood film, they would have, uh, had some kind of more obvious conflict over that. It would have come to blows or something. And the way this kept it very subtle, I thought, was a nice touch because that that kind of jealousy is something that um, a lot of people have experienced. Um, it, it was just a really nice uh, portrait of the kind of social milieus of school. Um, I thought the character of Josh, who's uh, a little nerdier, bad haircut, not very cool glasses. Um, I thought it was a very specific kind of person who is um, not quite a social outcast, but he's very much uh, right on that margin between kind of the more popular kids and, I don't know, the losers, the geeks, the nerds, the people who have been left behind and um, that kind of tenuous position he holds compared to his friend Zach, who is uh, a little more fluid and kind of getting into that popular Group and his uh, associations with Allison. Like, I thought that was a really nice um, way of kind of showing those social relationships in school, and I just so rarely see that. Um, So that's that's what really appealed to me about the film. The rest of the stuff, the conflict, the violence that pops up, um, I like that. I didn't dislike it as much as some critics have, but for me, the film's great strength was its specificity about these kind of high school relationships and also the way that um it just was shot i thought so so nicely um it wasn't at all what i was expecting
2: yeah i i think um all right so you you surmised somewhat correctly Rick that uh I'm not a fan of this movie uh I have a lot of problems with it like a lot and in fact this is this is a first for me i kinda tuned out i think about three quarters through the movie i sort of stopped watching and was looking at my phone most of the time um the movie just lost me and that never ever happens to me (laughs) ever that is that has not happened to me with a single thing that we've done this year um this one i was kind of like okay yeah forget it i've 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 seen this i know where it's going it doesn't really matter to me anyway because the movie lost me pretty much right with the act that spurs uh all the the sort of the plot in motion um but it did have me from those opening moments i was i was intrigued and i i did like though i would not call i know a lot of people are calling this realistic high school behavior um i would debate that pretty heavily i think this is hyper stylized it's interesting it's more interesting than like you say brian that that hollywood usually writes uh high school but i do not think it's an accurate depiction of uh reality especially in the 90s um but which I was a high school student at that point in time. Um, but it, I liked it. I, I, there were there were enough there was enough real bits in it to um, make it feel real enough. And I think some people are maybe maybe being tricked just uh, by those some of the some of the little interactions are really really note perfect, and it makes the rest of the, the stylized stuff feel more natural than it really is. And I, and I believe he was doing it stylized on purpose. He, I think obviously this movie has a message. It's trying to get up get across um, that has more to do with just the plot. This is just clearly, you know, about growing older, maturing and the loss of innocence and all the other stuff that, that uh, teen movies tend to be about. And I think that was my biggest problem. I saw absolutely nothing in this movie that I hadn't seen a hundred times before. Um, and that I hadn't seen done much better. Uh, and, and then it culminates in a last act that is, That makes very very little sense thematically or just logically as far as the plot goes. Um, Even though I tuned out and I may have missed one or two things, I don't think I missed enough uh, to to justify what ends up you know happening being that confusing. Um, But it is it it really makes no it it makes a big leap. Let's just put it a couple of characters make fairly large leaps. (laughs) Um, And as far as yeah, I, I I just basically, it was the, it was boring, ultimately <laughs> to me. It was ultimately boring, which is one of the worst things that a movie can do to you, right? I didn't I didn't despise it. It's not like it's one of those movies that I, I walked away from bitter and, you know, just absolutely hated stuff. I, I did not like the ending, that's for sure. But it didn't offend me in the way that many movies have. You <laughs> know, something like A Cure for a Wellness, right? The ending of that movie just offended my very core this was just disappointing that's all um and that they kind of just went into a, a standard slasher sort of thing at the end there that made that did not fit with the rest of the picture and it didn't fit with the plot uh, i also was sort of to see where brian where you liked a lot of the relationships i was kind of disappointed i didn't like the the character of allison i could not buy her for one second as a girl that age she was way too confident <laughs> in herself and way too confident engaging in a romantic relationship for a high school girl i think he, he lost that kind of sight of the fact that girls aren't they can also be a bundle full of nerves that's not just a boy thing um the amount of rejection she takes in this movie would have spiraled a high school girl <laughs> into some sort of deep depression i feel like from zach you know he, he's he's very cagey around her because of what's transpired and you know he has every reason to be cagey but I think uh, that would have given her some sort of complex.
0: <laughs> you um, you mentioned something. Um, you mentioned the fact that it takes place in the 90s. And I think that's actually one of the, one of the reasons why I find this film so interesting. Because it takes place in the 90s, but we're not entirely sure which year. Um, but this is like pre-Columbine. This is before the internet. This is before social media. And I just love how the director and the writers and just everyone who's involved in making this movie didn't feel the need to beat you over the head with nostalgia. Like, it's not like here's a poster of Michael Jackson's thriller, although that was the 80s, whatever. Here's a poster of like new kids on a block. And um, here's like whatever from the 80s. Like we get like a Bill Clinton speech in the background. Um, You get like little glimpses of like, I think it's like early PlayStation N64. There's mention of the legend of Zelda. We see a Walkman Uh, Was it a Walkman? Yeah, a Walkman. It was
2: a Walkman, or a Discman, I think it probably was. Walkman was 80s, Discman was 90s.
0: Cordless telephone, but it's all very subtle, and uh, the reason why I like that choice is because that makes this film, if you do like the film, uh, it makes it sort of, like, timeless. Like, you could be watching this movie in 10, 20, 30 years, and – you know, I mean, okay, who knows what it's going to be like in the next 30 years. But the point is, it, it doesn't feel like necessarily like a movie made in the 90s. It really reminded me very much of one of my favorite films, The River's Edge, and also a bit of Stand By Me. But like, when it comes to these movies about troubled youth, like I will agree with you to some extent about the girl Allison, like, her character doesn't feel real at times. And but with the boys, um, I kind of felt like this was a great example of Great casting. Like, I, I think those two boys, the leads, at least the two leads, Charlie Tahan and Owen Campbell, who play Josh and Zach, I think they're actually really, really well suited for the roles. And especially the troubled guy, the, you know, the guy with the longer hair and the glasses, like, he's the character that I kind of feel like I knew a kid like that in school. Like, he reminds me so much of this, like, kid in school. Like, their That's dialogue. Hilarious. Yeah. Like, I, I, thought
2: this, I felt the same way. I felt yeah, like yeah. I, knew, I knew Josh. And <laughs> Me too.
0: For sure, for sure. <laughs> Their dialogue and the banter, like well I think he did a really good job like so there's when I say he sorry the screenplay is written by Ben Collins and this guy Luke Piotrowski I believe I'm pronouncing the name right but the screenplay is written by two dudes and I think they do a really good job in writing the dialogue and the banter for the boys maybe not so much for the girls as for the ending there's a lot of people that are that just do not like the ending and I can see why it leaves people frustrated Um, but overall despite the ending which I do think like you said Patrick feels like a stretch it feels very very unrealistic um, I do like the film overall like there is some flaws there is, there is some decisions that they made that I wish they didn't make but overall, I think it's like a really fascinating film. And again, like, I mean, Brian, you mentioned the cinematography. I mentioned the cinematography. Those opening shots are beautiful. You, those shots get repeated throughout the film where they're like on their bicycles on a, at the top of a hill and it's like the, the sunrise and, and or the sunset. And you see the silhouette of the boys. Um, they also use that image for the marketing. So if you've seen a poster for this movie, you will see that image on the poster, for example. And I, But again, I really love the editing too, and I love the sound design and the score just like the mood it creates and so i can't argue with you patrick if you felt the movie was boring because you know no movie is going to please everyone right but i do think that there is a certain amount of talent that went into making this movie in terms of like the craft but i do know a lot of people that were just really disappointed with the ending so it's one of those endings that will make that that can break it like it could be a deal breaker for some people
2: so really quick before we get back to brian here i mean i i I I think there's a lot of craft in this movie and it's not something that even though I got bored during it, it was mostly because I kind of, I knew where it was going, even though I knew it was going to be completely illogical. I mean, you could kind of tell what was going to happen. They made enough allusions to it that you understood like this is going to happen, but it shouldn't be happening was going through my mind. Um, because it hasn't been set up properly, even though they're telegraphing it. Uh, but yeah, there's the cinematography. It's, it's a very uh, pretty movie to look at in that sort of grayish, uh, depressing way. It, it, um, it definitely captures the feel of what these kids uh, are going through at the moment. Like, everything, it, it looks like it's in, in fall,
0: essentially. It shot on digital, but 35 millimeter lenses. So they did a lot with the lighting of the film. And I'm pretty sure you're yeah. right, Patrick. They, they clearly mm-hmm. shot it in the fall
2: yeah and it's it's a gorgeous gorgeously grayish brown with you know and the the, the colors of the leaves are very muted for the most part uh so you don't see a lot of happiness in this uh which is it fits perfectly and the, the compositions are are very very meticulously framed uh, i enjoyed that element of it he's definitely trying for things i like that you know those little dream sequences even though i don't think personally they didn't work for me personally I, I get that he was trying for something there, and I appreciate the effort behind it. Uh, I, there were a couple of funny, like, you're talking about all the, the allusions to sex in this. I mean, everything from a finial on a rail, which is clearly phallic-shaped, just popping up right into the kids uh, as they're riding their bikes. It was hilarious, like, how many of these things he kind of throws into that. Um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely craft here, and there was certainly thought put behind
0: it. I kind of feel like the opening scene re- reminded me a lot of Greg Iraqi movies where the two kids are flicking through a mag. Oh no, they're flicking through the um, the yearbook and they're talking about the girls in the yearbook and in the background or the foreground, well, the background, um, there is a television set and it's sort of like fuzzy to picture. And every so often you see like images of what I'm assuming is porn. Yeah. Um, so that really yeah. gave me the Greg Iraqi feel. I'm, I'm thinking of movie movies like uh, Doom Generation and Nowhere. But the um, the director, he used to be a cinematographer. So if you look at his track record, if you look at his credits on Internet Movie Database, he's, I think he was a cinematographer for like at least ten movies or or more before directing this. And I think that's maybe perhaps the reason why, even though he didn't lens this movie, it's it looks good, like it looks great actually.
1: Like what I agree is- with you? He does have a great eye for composition.
0: I think that's pretty obvious throughout
1: the whole movie.
2: So at some point, we kind of do need to talk about the ending. And I don't know if you wanted to go into direct spoilers, Rick, or not. But I'd like to hear what you guys actually thought of that end. And just, like, okay, you both like the movie a little bit more than I do. How does that end work mm-hmm. for you?
1: Well, I I think I maybe like it the most out of us. And I, I kind of want to defend the ending a little bit. Um, I, I'll try not to go too much into it, but it's very literally a super dark time. And... Um, I think for a lot of people, maybe that seemed too abrupt out of nowhere. Um, I I didn't feel that way, at least when I kind of mulled the movie over in my mind after I'd seen it. I think um, Kevin Phillips and his screenwriters did a really nice job of kind of giving us two lead males who have a lot of fear, anxiety, and in the case of uh, Josh, more of the social outcast, a lot of anger. Um, and at least knowing the way that some teenage voice can kind of uh, steam and stew in all of those negative juices, juices, I think the earlier pivotal moment in the movie kind of sets him up for these terrible things that I don't want to talk too much about. But um, I, I think so we it, can, it didn't we seem can like too it, much of a we,
0: I don't know. I wouldn't really spoil it because that's the first review of a show in which we're reviewing two movies. Oh, no. um, i think i think we could dance around the subject i mean i think like i mentioned earlier on that this is pre-columbine this is before mass shootings in like across north america not just the united states but even canada right. like in montreal we've had four yeah. mass shootings right and so yeah. i i think like you're right uh brian i think like i don't have a problem with the ending because i think it comes out of nowhere My 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 only nitpick with the ending is i just didn't like the last like i guess five minutes when he walks into the street and just the way it wraps up, I guess. I'm trying to I'm trying to dance around with what exactly happens.
2: Could he have lived through that? I gotta ask. you guys. Like, could he have? I I have a feeling this is all metaphor. I mean, it's heavily metaphorical. Clearly, especially the final blow that's delivered. I mean, come on. <laughs> it was it was obviously meant to be saying something. I don't think realistically you can live through an injury quite like that. Or let's just say you were in grave danger and would just be sitting in a. You know, I, and the on the back bumper of, of an ambulance, just sort of being cleaned up by one of the EMTs. I believe they'd be helicoptering you
0: in. <laughs> yeah, but but I I really do think that the movie just presents us with these actors playing teenagers who feel, sound, and look like real teenagers. At least the boys, uh, the way the cast interacts. I just felt like it was spot on and like the dialogue, like the dialogue felt messy. It felt like the boys didn't really know what they wanted to say at times because they're teenage boys and they're just like, they're just running their mouth most of the time. Like they don't even know what the hell they're saying, but um, like the relationships get complicated throughout the whole entire film because they're so paranoid and Brian, you're right. Like he's so full of anger.
1: Yeah. And um, I think for me, the reason that end scene does work is just because even though his style is like, they really, the boys at least really ring true as teenagers. So, I mean, that sense of fear and not really knowing what to do um, really worked for me. And although I kind of agree that uh, the character who played, or the actress who played Allison was maybe a little too knowing to be a teenager, um, there's another girl, I'm not sure what her name was, but um, I thought she was a much more kind of realistic teenage girl. So her involvement in those final scenes i thought that was kind of chilling in a a very effective way for me
2: yeah it didn't didn't quite work for me at all um in the end there i just felt that they made too big too big a leap there i get that he was going for some stuff as far as um like i say the loss of innocence the anger did not work for me because because i didn't see where it came from it's one thing to be angry and it's another thing to be murderous um and so (laughs) for me i i I tried to kind of view the movie through the uh, a prism of like, this is all support, supposed to be representing, you know, very almost like mother, right? Don't take anything literal. I started looking at the movie that way, only I still couldn't find anything to sort of latch on to. It wasn't speaking to me from a realistic way or a metaphorical way very well. And so in the end, I just kind of um, faded away
0: hmm. I just the last thing I'm going to say is I do appreciate the fact that although I love my horror films and my special effects, especially practical effects and blood and gore, I do appreciate the fact that the filmmakers didn't feel the need to cover the screen with acts of violence. Like there is some horrific things that happen in this movie, but it, that doesn't necessarily mean it's bloody and gruesome, but it's still, I think, downright creepy. Um, I was actually wondering about that. Um, speaking of horror
1: movies, um, how do you think this movie has been kind of advertised to people? Because I, I didn't read anything about it, but the few little nubbins I saw kind of made this movie seem like a horror movie, which I think aside from the violence, it is most definitely not. And I kind of wonder if anybody who sees that with a horror movie in mind might uh, be really disappointed at what they end up getting
0: did I, Did you I guys think, think that at all? I, honestly, I think that's the way they should market the movie. I mean, the movie screened at a ton of genre film festivals from Fantasia to Fantastic Fest and I think that's the crowd that you need to market to. Like, if you're looking for a horror film similar to, say, Annabelle, you know, okay, you're not most likely not going to like this movie, but um, it is a dark movie. It, it is twisted. It's. I'm not entirely sure how they can market the movie. I mean, it's It's very downbeat. At times, it's very slow, the pacing. Um,
2: There is tension, though. It does try to build tension. So in that sense, there are horror elements of it. I think you nailed it with the Donnie Darko thing, except I don't want to advertise that too much because it's not nearly as weird or (laughs) metaphysical as that (laughs) movie was. It doesn't go quite to the same places, but it has a similar uh, downbeat vibe, I guess.
0: Well, but Donnie Darko is a sci-fi horror film. This is a thriller, straight up.
2: Yes. Although this has mm-hmm. some weird... It does have those weird dream sequences. Like, there's clearly some strange things going on in these kids' heads. Like, it's, it's doing some weird stuff, just not nearly to the extent that Donnie Darko did.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I'm writing up my list of the... um I mean, at least I think I'm going to write up my list of the best horror films of the year. And I was debating putting it on my list because like even a movie like We Need to Talk About Kevin or Take, uh, Take Shelter, like those movies are thrillers. And but there's elements of them that can classify like there's par- there's things about that movie where I can forgive someone for classifying it as a straight up horror film at the same time. Um, So I'm not anyways to answer your question, Brian, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I'm looking at the poster right now. And there's like three kids they're silhouetted. Like, they're all in black. And then you get the the background, which is, like, this, like, muted, like, orangey-pink color. And they're, they're shining yeah. flashlights. It, lo- it looks like a scene from Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Definitely.
2: Very much. All right. Well, does anybody have any final thoughts?
0: Look, I think uh, I really highly recommend this movie. I think, um, I, I don't know. Like, I think if you, like, I know Donnie Darko's a stretch because that, for me, that is a fascinating, fantastic film. And, I
2: think that's fair. I, it, just don't go in expecting the strangeness of Donnie Darko. It's it, like you said, it's not on that movie's level. But I think you got it right in the in the tone, a, as far as you know, the sort of the downbeat, this sort of pessimistic tone. Um, teen, you know, the teenagers, <laughs> I guess, have. I, I grew up in the Brady Bunch, so I'm going to separate myself from this completely. But <laughs> I didn't have this out outlook, but I imagine others did.
0: But Donnie Darko felt feels timeless because it does the same thing that these guys do in their movie where they don't like necessarily like shove that era, the nostalgia in your face. And I think that's what that that is the movie's biggest strain. Like, I think that's why the movie works for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I think that Donnie Darko uh, connection is great. I mean, it's not similar in subject matter at all. But tone wise, I think that's very much the case. Although Donnie Darko still had like. major wide release and this movie it definitely had a way way smaller release so i mean it's it's never going to reach any kind of cult status like that
0: but i would definitely recommend it donnie darko had a wide release for one week and that was it they took it out of the movie theaters because nobody went to see it It only found the cult following on dvd
2: yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's that is true. Uh, I don't know I don't know that this movie will quite find the cult following that Donnie Darko had just because that movie was so out of left field and Donnie, Dark, you know, Donnie Darko is, it really is operating on another level than Super Dark Times which is much more standard fare. Um but regardless um it's I didn't think it was a horrible movie. Uh, it's just not for me but apparently it's for you guys. Uh, when when we come back we'll be checking out Another recent offering, uh, this one on Netflix called Gerald's Game. This is gonna be good for us, Jess. Really good. That's
1: a marriage, isn't it? Working on the difficult things. For better or worse. Let's go in. Get comfy. I bet you think your husband will be back any minute. He's trying to go
0: for help.
1: There's no one for miles. Um, Gerald? I'm sorry, baby. You don't get to know
0: my name. I don't like this. I'm serious. Stop. I don't like that. Thanks. Stop it! <laughs> are
2: you playing?
0: Is this really what it takes these days?
2: Oh, I don't know. We were so wrong.
1: We were happy once.
0: Where are we? Gerald? What? What's Ger- happening? Oh. Gerald! <laughs> To wake up, honey.
2: Five hours you've wasted screaming for neighbors that are half a mile away if they're You're even here, here yet.
0: yet.
2: How long do
1: you think someone lives without water? That will not work. No. You can pull to your wrists, break. You're not getting out of those cups. Not
0: real. You're. Yeah. Little baby, don't say a word. Focus, you've been sleepwalking since you were 12 years old. That's a beautiful dress. Yeah. He put you in those handcuffs way before Gerald did.
1: You're right, you're right, Mel?
0: You need everything you need to survive from the beginning. You just have to remember. Back off! Um.
2: <laughs> if you don't wake up, you're gonna die. And welcome back. That was a trailer for Gerald's Game, a Netflix original movie directed by Mike Flanagan and starring Carla Gugino. I believe that's how her name is pronounced. And Bruce Greenwood. Um, It is the movie about a older middle-aged couple that uh, goes on a weekend getaway to try to reinvigorate their sex life. Uh, Due to an unfortunate incident, one of them remains handcuffed to a bed and the other remains on the floor for the duration of the film. Uh, Bad bad things happen all the way around. There's a dog. He was creepy. And there's some other guy, too. Uh, (laughs) Rick, do you want to go first on this one?
0: Oh, boy. Sure. I guess um one of four stephen king adaptations released this year probably the best uh maybe not my favorite i still really 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 like it but i kind of admire this movie now i'm a huge fan of mike flanagan i actually met him a long time ago at the fantasia film festival when uh, he uh he was screening his first film absentia which i think in some ways is still his best movie by the way so if you haven't seen it check out absentia he's actually he actually made the movie uh uh, the Ouija board movie, Origins of Evil, I think what's called. Oh. Dude, that movie is oh. actually really good, believe it or not. Like, seriously, it's like a prequel to a horror film franchise. And it's, like, fantastic. And he also made Hush, which I also really liked. So he's an interesting director. And he's made a few movies that I, I'm not fond of. But I think of all of his movies, this, I think, is maybe his best not necessarily my favorite. I always say there's a difference, right?
2: Obviously, the Ouija Board movie is
0: your favorite, dude. That movie is amazing. <laughs> like it's so fun. It's like it's just such a fun horror film. It's so well directed. It's beautifully shot. It's just it's it's a ton of fun. It's a great movie to watch on Halloween if you have a bunch of friends over. Um, seriously nothing wrong with that movie check it out it's great but I I think the reason why this movie works I mean like you have this Stephen King novel which a lot of people say can never really get adapted to the big screen because it all takes place in a woman's head like everything is her inner thoughts and um he found the way to do it and the interesting thing I don't know if you noticed Patrick is apparently he's been wanting to make this movie since he was a teenager and ever since he was 19 years old he's uh, I think he drafted the script or the uh, idea for the screenplay when he was 19 and ever since every time he he goes to like a meeting with a producer he brings a copy of I think I'm not sure if it's a, a copy of the script he wrote or the actual book because he's been trying to pitch this project for like years like I, I mean I'm not sure how old he is but at least a decade right and so he finally got it done and I gotta I gotta say like For what it is, like what the actual original source material is, I think he found a fantastic way to adapt it. But I think the reason why the movie works and the reason why a lot of people like the movie is because of the cast. Like, I think they're just across the board amazing. Like the performance from her alone is, you know, one of the most interesting performances of the year. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have a problem with the ending, which we can talk about later, but overall, I'm kind of like a big fan of this movie and I got to say, out of all the horror films released straight to Netflix this year, this is by far the best one. Ryan, what's your, what are your thoughts?
1: Um, I was pretty impressed with this film. I didn't like it quite as much as our previous film, Super Dark Times, but um, I don't know. I'd never read the Stephen King book. I, I read a ton of his books, but not this one. Um, and so, But I knew the story outline, and it just didn't strike me as something I was super interested in probably why i never read the book in the first place um but i think that mike flanagan is a really uh, a great visual director a visual storyteller and he manages to get uh, a lot of little details that he doesn't have to convey in a i don't know a more clumsy way like i i didn't at first realize that bruce greenwood's character was kind of a uh, a domestic abuser like someone who is really made um, Carlo Gugino's character miserable over the years. But just through kind of his little cold glares and some very fleeting uh, looks of fear that she had, just in the opening like car ride to the cabin or whatever, it kind of gave off that impression in a way that I thought was very subtle and nicely done. And I think the other thing that he did really well was kind of capture the way that Stephen King uses a lot of internal monologues in his books. I mean, they're filled with characters' thoughts and all these kind of internal chaos. And by using the Bruce Bruce Greenwood character um, in that kind of delusional setting, he got to something that felt like King's work more than a lot of other films that have adapted him, even some of the best ones. They don't necessarily feel like a Stephen King book. And I thought this was probably the closest I've ever seen anybody get to that. Um, so I, I really love the way he did that with uh, the mm-hmm. husband's return scenes.
2: So, yeah, I, I think we're all in agreement here. I really liked this, this one quite a bit. Um, other than... And we'll talk about it. The little coda at the end—I I don't even really feel like that's the ending. I do feel like it's an epilogue, and it, I, you can almost just cut it off from the rest of the film. And the rest of the oh, yeah. the, the, the whole the rest of it works just fine, uh, works really really well. And this is all—I mean, Rick, you nailed it. Well, it's it's about Mike Flanagan's direction because he really utilizes that space of of the bedroom very very well, uh, and not just that, but he utilizes. Uh, he he finds a way to make the camera elicit a kind of tension with close-ups and long shots that too few directors kind of realize how how to do like he has he's utilized this space in a way that he can make he can bring everything in and make you focus in on one tiny little aspect of that room. Bring it in from a wide shot all the way to a shot of a water glass sitting on a shelf. And it's like he has made the camera. Uh, we we can feel kind of the stretch that uh, the main character goes through as she needs as she wants to reach for things. I don't. I think we should mention she is the one handcuffed to the bed, obviously, and her husband who has died of a heart attack uh, is on the floor. Um, I don't think that's spoiling anything. That's the basic premise of this movie. So yeah, he, he with his camera, he he's able to elicit so much tension, uh, more so than even even is on paper. And he is owed a big uh, debt for for making this thing work. But Carla Gugino, I, I hope that's how her name is pronounced. I've known her as an actress for years. I've never heard her name said, <laughs> but she is uh, she's fantastic in this. This has got to be the best thing she's ever done. Uh, I was so impressed by. The kinds of the, the range that she shows in this performance, because there are moments where she is talking to herself because she's like Brian mentioned, she's delusional through all this. And so the Bruce Greenwood character, it's her version of her husband. And we can talk about some of the the, the details of that for one of the things that I don't think works in the end is is has to do with her husband. Um, but her talking to herself, I, I found those scenes to be almost more captivating than her talking to her husband uh, she does such a great job of portraying different aspects of her own personality <laughs> and these ca- they're they're so much like separate characters also shout out to the makeup department for really making uh, a visual distinction between her and her I don't know what do you call that when you when you're imagining yourself but whatever she be, between her and her yeah her to her and her delusion um, everybody across the board did a top-notch job dealing with something that would be very difficult to do uh, pulling something like this off requires really, really precise staging to make it interesting. Uh, it's the kind of thing that 12 Angry Men had to deal with, you know, where you've just, you've got to make sure that everybody's moving. You've got to keep things visually interesting. Like you, you said, the mise-en-scene is, is, is really, really good in this movie. Um, all credit to Flanagan on that one. But yeah, everybody across the board really, really did a good well. The movie is a slow burn and it really does ratchet it up till, becomes very, very tense, and the real ending, I think, is very, very appropriate. If you chop off that little epilogue, you've got a nice, solid, solid picture here.
0: Oh, so you're saying remove the court case.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I would actually I chop off everything after she crashes her car and is found. I would, I would have ended the movie right there.
0: Right. Now, I haven't read I the book, but from my understanding, well, first of all, Stephen King is known for having bad endings. And from my understanding, the ending of the <laughs> book is terrible. But for people who I know have read the book, they all claim that this is a great way to adapt the, the novel. And they actually really, really, really love the ending. Um, what I find interesting and what I love about her performance and her character and the way she's written is she's a victim because, you know, she gets accidentally like, well, not accidentally. She puts on the handcuffs and they're about to go performed her kinky sex and he has a heart attack and so she's handcuffed to the sped and can't move in the middle of nowhere and no one can save her so she's kind of like a victim but she becomes the heroine of her own story after a lifetime of sexual abuse and emotional abuse and i just like found that fascinating and to get the inner monologues from her and i also like the decision to have him talk to her like he he dies but mm-hmm. he's he, he like cuz when, I, when when I was first like I you know the first time I watched the movie I was like okay he's dead so are we just going to focus on her for the, for the entirety of the film and that's it and I thought I honestly got I thought it was just going to be her and then no he you know the the actor here actually has a ton of dialogue because all like Bruce, Bruce Greenwood's character although he dies he technically has a role to play because she imagines him throughout the whole entire film, and she's having a dialogue with him. I also really like the flashback sequences, and I'm not usually a fan of flashback sequences, but in this film, it works really well. And I'm sorry, but the red-hued backdrop of the solar eclipse was just stunning. Stunning.
2: Yeah, they did a great job with that, and her projection of him, and that was the word that I was thinking of, um, it's, fa- it's fantastic in, in a way, very fascinating to see how she imagines her husband. You know, there's a lot of question here. Uh, I mean, we could go into the sort of the abuse, and I, I take real issue with the comparisons that are made later on in the end uh, between her husband and, and other and other things. But um, her projection of him is very interesting. It says, it says a lot about her, almost more than it says about him. I don't think we really know too much about Gerald at the end of this, but we do know a lot about what she thinks of Gerald and that is is very a very interesting way to do something like this we don't really know what their marriage was like we just kind of know what she thinks it was like and how that how that sort of helps her helps spur her into rescuing herself from what had been you know obviously from from scars from the past from uh, uh you know a horrible incident and whatever else she may have endured uh they focus only on on one particular um incident on one, one event but uh, it obviously it probably more than likely happened on other occasions who knows but she's been carrying this around for years and then the having her sort of be trapped it was a good metaphor having her being shackled to to something and having to free herself um and I, I also the way she frees herself was oh <laughs> nice, my god, nice I know. little shocker.
0: <laughs> but that 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 metaphor, I mean, it's it's not subtle, clearly. But it's I yeah. th- I thought it was brilliant, and of course you have yeah. to credit Stephen King. But uh, guys, the, <laughs> that scene, that scene, which will have people pass out watching it. <laughs> like yeah. I watch a lot of horror films, and holy shit! Like I was like, <laughs> I was just gripping onto the couch. I was just like, oh my god, I had to look away.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it was good. I like the way, you know, the the dog, I think, was a a very valuable asset, too. I was wondering how that was going to play, if that was just going to turn into some sort of Cujo-like thing. And there's a nice, clever little reference to Cujo that I'm sure was not in the book. Maybe I'm wrong. Stephen King does like to reference his own stuff all the time, so who knows. But um, at least they acknowledged that mangy mutt, who actually seemed like like a perfectly nice dog that I would never want to step within 20 feet of. Um, (laughs) Tell me, Rick, you're a dog. You're a dog lover, Rick. Would you have gone near that dog?
0: Um, yeah. I like the dog, man. The dog's cool. Best yeah. actor in the movie.
2: Yeah, I got no problems with the dog. He he was a survivor. You know what? He, it was just like her. Did what he had to do.
1: Uh. <laughs> I bet if you if you gave that dog some food, he'd be perfectly fine.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, they did give that dog some food, and guess what? Look what happened. All right. <laughs> There's a lesson to be learned here, everyone. Do not give anything food, ever.
0: But that's one thing I did not like about the film. The only thing I did not like, and it's going to sound really strange, but, like, the dog feeds on him, which makes sense because the dog is starving and he's this dead corpse lying on the ground. But I just don't buy into the fact that the dog would actually try to feed on her because dogs would not do that because she's alive. Like, why would the dog do that when he's got a dead corpse standing next to him? It's like 380 pounds of flesh to feed off of.
2: So there's, I mean, of course, there's always the taste for human blood, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) He's a man eater now. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I I always take the, the dog is obviously just sort of a weird thing that's not supposed to be, again, not supposed to be taken as a literal, this could happen in reality moment but as it's representative of, of other things. And that's kind of the way I saw the dog. It's just a creepy mystical thing. Almost, you know, Stephen King's books are always populated with, with mysticism, either whether it's obvious or not, but there's always a little bit in there. And uh, that's kind of the way I saw this dog.
0: Um, I just wanted to know what you guys think of the third character, or I guess you could say fourth character. If you consider a dog, a character.
2: The, the moonlight or uh, the man made of moonlight yeah uh that's what i was
0: just about to ask you guys about so go ahead brian
1: <laughs> well i um i don't know i found him it uh pretty chilling during the film when he was just part of her hallucinations um i guess and i i think it's the uh the guy from twin peaks right the uh giant guy um or that actor but um
2: Yeah, I found that kind of
1: effective. Ah, yeah. Um, I found that kind of this apparition of death to be effective um, in the main part of the film. When he pops up again, he should have been completely cut off. Then I think it kind of loses its power. Um, It's one of those examples where you're trying to explain something too much and it loses everything that that made it kind of frightening and appealing in the first place. Would you yeah, think? Yeah, it's
0: like for sure. It's like it's it's like uh Michael Myers in the original Halloween film. He's the shadow. He's he's just a figure that moves in a shadow. He doesn't have an I mean, he has a name, but you know what I mean? Like he's more of this myth, like and if you compare that to Rob Zombie's remake and they give him like this entire backstory and we see him grow up and when he's a child, it, it doesn't have the same effect. And I kind of feel like Patrick's right, the movie would have been it would have it would have been it would have been a better decision to end the movie as soon as she crashes her car. She crashes her car, the movie ends, and that's it. Like you see you see the people in the distance and you see them with her flashlights heading towards the car, so you know she's gonna be saved, and that's all you need to know. She saved herself.
2: You know that, that was it. She was victorious and she saved yeah. herself. I guess we had a we had a writer, I believe it was Chelsea, uh, on SwordCinema.com that she wrote an article about the ending and how it takes away from the theme of the rest of the movie, which was this woman uh, recollecting and then fighting her abuse, right? The things that caged her in. And I feel like that coda takes away from all that. This epilogue takes away from that. It it turns everything into literal. Like now it's not about a woman fighting her demons. There's actually, there was actually a serial killer around her, you know, like, what does that (laughs) matter? It doesn't matter. (laughs) Like he actually worked better when he was just a representation of death. Um, it, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They kind of just bludgeon over the head with it. I get that the, the director, you know, he probably had to throw it in there because that was part of the book. And uh, But I, I think we're neglecting the creepiest thing in this movie, and that is that uh, Elliot plays her dad. <laughs> and that was disturbing. <laughs> How could he have done that? How could little Elliot, E.T.'s buddy, have been uh, such a creepy father, man?
1: It's really a a tour de force of casting because, I mean, E.T. is imprinted on my childhood memories. And if there's any person that I would trust and feel safe with, it's probably some version of Henry Thomas. So, um, (laughs) yeah, that was uh, totally surprised me, even though I knew kind of what the movie was moving towards. But, um, But I think that was really effective because I think a lot of people would say that abusers kind of use... Charisma to ingratiate themselves with people, and uh, that's how they can get away with those kind of things. so um yeah, I thought that was a perfect choice for something like that.
2: You know, it makes sense. I mean, Elliot's dad left him an alien almost killed him. you know there, there are a lot of things that his he, he had a, a scarred childhood as well. it kind of makes sense, but still, we're in sort his of demons
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly uh th- those scenes were very, I mean, God, the tension in those scenes. Ugh. It was uh, very, very well done, icky as they are.
0: We should just give credit to Robert Kurtzman, who did the special effects, specifically for the scene that we were talking about prior. Uh, Robert Kurtzman does all the effects for a lot of Hollywood horror films, but also for The Walking Dead most recently. So he's uh, he knows his stuff. Um, and that are we was talking uh, about
2: the hand. The
0: hand, yes. <laughs> yeah,
2: great effect. I got to say, I bought it hook, line, and sinker, man. That looked real enough to me.
0: <laughs> I, I got a little lightheaded, but uh, so it, it must have worked. Speaking of marketing, like the marketing for this movie, the best thing I saw them do was they filmed people watching the film and they specifically showed the scene of them watching that scene. Like they filmed the people watching that scene, their reactions, and just like the reactions alone were enough to like for me personally get me curious in watching this movie. At first I wasn't really interested. I don't know. For some reason I feel like Netflix doesn't really do a great job yet it, with their movies. Like I feel the hit to miss ratio is like not very positive. Um they do a good job with your T V shows. But yeah, that's the piece of marketing I saw and I was just like, okay, I gotta see this movie.
2: Yeah. I'll admit, I wasn't very interested either, even though we'd had some, some pretty glowing staff reviews of it. Um, it just didn't, didn't really get me. And I wasn't looking forward necessarily to seeing it. I, I figured it would be something that was just sort of so, so, but I found it very, very, uh, above average here. I, I thought it was very, very solid. Um, definitely fine craftsmanship went into this thing and I appreciated that. I was definitely, it was nice to be in, in the hands of a confident, you know, Helmer and, uh, Someone who understood how a story can progress like that. How a, a story with such limited potential as far as what you can do with it, how he could make that thing progress and how he could ratchet things up and how he could have emotional payoffs that were so satisfying in that small little space uh, over the course of two hours, nearly two hours. Um, yeah, very, very very well done. Flies by, too. Uh, and not, not a dull moment in that movie.
0: It's amazing. It's amazing that in a year... Where we get four Stephen King adaptations. You look at Dark Tower, which could have and should have been like the big one. Mm -hmm. They messed it up. And then you look at Gerald's Game, which, you know, even Stephen King fans do not like that book. Like, a lot of people claim it's like one of his worst books, if not his worst book. Yet they managed to properly adapt that book, which a lot of people aren't even crazy about, into an amazing movie. So it just makes me wonder what happened to Dark Towers? How did it go so wrong?
2: Yeah, because it was it was very well done. I mean, it was a solid movie as well. And I think this might be better than it, even though I have a lot of respect and, and liking for it. Um, I think this one might actually be better than it. But yeah, it was, it was a solid year for him. And then takes for The Dark Tower, which apparently was a fair <laughs> thing. I don't know. Didn't see it. Don't ever plan on seeing it. But
1: yeah, I didn't see The Dark Tower either. But I mean, from everything I read about it, it seemed like it was very disconnected from the books that Stephen King actually wrote. Um, And I think that's why it and Gerald's Game worked. They were more faithful in a way that uh, was kind of risky, but ultimately paid off. I mean, aside from like The Shining, which I think is the best Stephen King adaptation, which has very little to do with that actual book, most of the other successful King adaptations are the ones that really commit to it. So I think uh, by being willing to do that, that's what made Gerald's Game, and to a lesser extent, it work.
2: Mm -hmm. definitely uh and you could definitely see this this guy had pictured this in his mind how it would work i i can totally believe that he knew for years how he wanted this movie to look um you were talking about editing in super dark times i feel like the editing in this movie as well is fantastic uh dealing with the delusions the projections the multiple projections at times that she's talking to uh the way it cuts back and forth and the way they're able to violate sort of uh the spatial ratio between them, the way that they're supposed to, they're able to jump through the room um, because they're not subject.
0: What I found the most interesting in terms of like the way he directs the movie um, is how he uses the sound. He doesn't really apply a score to any of the graphic horrific scenes. He actually cuts the music. So you just get her and you hear her and her reactions and her, her gasping for breath and, and just being in so much pain he cuts the music though it's
2: great yeah and I, the score is not overblown it would not have worked if it were for this kind of movie you i can't honestly other than the the sort of pulsing that occasionally happens i can't remember much else of the score and in this case that's a good thing because you really do want to be focused on carl gugino and you know what's going on inside the frame um and don't want to be distracted by anything else she is kind of the music to this her face—it's it, telling the entire story right there.
0: Right. I mean, you can—you can compose great music. It doesn't necessarily mean that what you compose is, is suited for the film. You know what That's I mean? right. It becomes a little bit more about them, and the music overempowers the film, and that's never a good thing. In this film, that's not the case. Nope. Absolutely. I'm glad. I'm glad you guys brought up that music
1: though, because I, I, I didn't actually care for it at all. I think it was smart that it wasn't over the. Uh, More dramatic moments, but when it did pop up I found it kind of a little too flowery coin cloying Um, So it it didn't work for me, but it was I think to its benefit that over the kind of darkest and most dramatic parts They let it just be I think that was an effective way to kind of convey those without pushing it over the top with the music, but uh, It
0: was not my cup of tea at all
1: Interesting
2: Alright, well, are there any final thoughts about uh, Gerald's game?
0: I don't know. Um, I still, guys, I love it. Like, it's like on my top <laughs> five, maybe, of the year. Um, yeah, I, I, I would, I, I this, this movie, okay, when we do our list of best movies of the year in December, I'm pretty sure this is going to land on our list, but that's only because we stretch it out to about 30. Uh, but I would not say it's I don't know. I can't even say it's a better film than it.
2: It's t- it's different. Obviously, it's very different. It has grander notions that it's dealing with. This is much more focused. I kind of tend to prefer the premise of this one a little bit better than it. But again, I liked it as well. So I'm ranking this one just in pure. It it has some moments where it doesn't quite work. And I think this one is solid all the way through. Like, again, if you cut off that little epilogue, I really like every single part of this movie, Um,
0: but I think that's my problem because I'm the type of person where the way a movie ends is like it's really important to me because that's that's the last impression I have of the movie. And I really just do not like the ending of this film. It had this movie ended with a car crash. I might put it above it, but that's not the case.
2: So I have this ability, I've done this for years where uh, when a movie logically ends in my mind, that's how, to me whatever comes after it doesn't really matter and I never factored in. I remember watching AI, and of course everybody hates the last 15 minutes of AI, right? Because they're awful, and they they don't belong in there at all. But in my mind, that movie ended as soon as the kid committed suicide and was trapped under the ocean. And he was trapped <laughs> in the, and, and the way I think of that movie, he was trapped under the ocean forever, and it was a very depressing, kind of fitting end to that movie. <laughs> and the last 20 minutes, they don't exist as far as i'm concerned
0: <laughs> it's funny you mentioned this because i'm not sure if we ever reviewed the movie on sort of cinema but i've talked about it and what i said on the show was the first time i watched the movie i absolutely loved it but i did have a problem with the, the final 20 minutes so i've watched that movie about five or six times since and i always just press stop as soon as he falls into the ocean and yeah. to me, that's all i need to do you can you can control the movie in that sense because you stop it
2: You're right. That's that's right. That's the proper ending for that movie. So in my brain, that is the ending. (laughs) And in this one, the the end of the car crash will be the end of Gerald's game. (laughs) Whatever happened afterwards, doesn't matter. And it won't affect my impressions of the movie because as far as I'm concerned, that that never happened.
1: (laughs) Well, I actually like the ending for AI. I'll take that (laughs) unpopular position. But yeah, I I totally agree. I just chop off endings because I think it's so hard to find a really perfect ending for a movie, even great movies that I, I don't want to leave the whole film's fate up to whether it has a good ending or not. So yeah, I
0: just dude for the past four years, I think on this podcast, it's the, the conversation is always about the third act it's this yep. reoccurring problem with the third act and how a filmmaker and or screenplay writer does not know how to properly end their movie and there's so many great movies where for whatever reason it gets to the third act and it falls apart it's been a reoccurring thing i, I would not even stretch it out to about seven years like i remember even like a movie like wally which one of my favorite pixar films the third act compare it to the first act and the second act it's it's night and day like there's just all of these movies that have such potential. And for some reason they sort of tend to fall apart in the third act. So, yeah.
2: And you know what? It helps a lot when there's actually a a logical break in the story like these have so that their, their endings are like epilogues. It makes it a lot easier to sort of snip them at that moment and (laughs) cut the film off too many movies. Their third act destroys everything, right? They just, Bring in a wrecking ball and destroy everything cool that they built beforehand. Uh, They don't give you that moment where you can check out and be like, you know what, I enjoyed most of this movie, (laughs) so I'm going to leave it that way. Uh, Guardians of the
0: Galaxy Volume Two, man. Sorry, the third (laughs) act sucks.
2: Yeah, and it wrecks it. It It wrecks your impression of that movie because they didn't give you a chance to just check out of that movie. But you know, things like AI, they do. They they actually give you an ending and then they give you another ending. So and so is Gerald's game. It gives you a proper end and then it's like, oh, wait, there's more. But, so what
0: you're saying is that filmmakers should supply at least three to four endings yes. in a movie so you can check out at any time.
2: Yes, exactly. <laughs> Baby Driver should have done that. I mean, I, I didn't care for the very ending. if Baby Driver would have supplied me with a proper ending. I think I uh, would have liked that movie even more than I already did. Uh, but, yeah, that's like, you know what? I'm going to remember that. When I'm writing next time, I'm going to write multiple endings. I'm going to go to Peter Jackson route. Choose your They're... own ending. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's one where it didn't work for me, was Return of the King. There, there were, like, five endings of, of that movie, and none of them worked. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> it's time for us to have a logical ending to this podcast. Um, Brian, thanks for being on the show. And where can we find you online?
1: Um, you can find me on Twitter at BrianMarks356, at Sorted Cinema, and uh, occasionally on Village Voice and LA Weekly.
2: And Rick, uh, where can we find you?
0: Goomba Um You can listen to our Nintendo podcast if you play video games. We don't just talk about Nintendo games. We talk about indie games. Any kind of games that are on Nintendo consoles. It's a lot of fun. And um, on Twitter, I'm um, Goomba Stomp Mag. So I, I handle, quote unquote, the official Twitter handle for Goomba Stomp, but it's really sort of like a personalized account, but I do promote all the articles. So yeah.
2: Yeah, and you can find me at Sorted Cinema on Twitter. Um, go ahead and message us. What did you think of Gerald's game? What did you think of Super Dark Times? Did you see Super Dark Times? I actually do recommend people seeing it, even though I didn't particularly care for it. Um, But with that, we, uh, we will return next week.